Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Cosmere podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is a podcast where I am slowly but surely walking Mango through the story of the Cosmere, primarily the Stormlight Archive. We are currently on Words of Radiance. We're going to be covering today the interludes, uh, the second set of interludes leading into part three and a little bit of part three. I just want to remind you guys that we have a Discord server. The link to, to join that is in the episode description, and it's also on Twitter. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Speak Stormlight. Mango. What? Do you remember what happened last time? It really wasn't a lot. I mean, it was a lot, but like it, it was a it lot was... of one or two scenes. Well, Shalon killed somebody with a. Um, Shalon killed Tin. With her shard blade, so mm-hmm. now people know she has a shard blade. Um, also, she f- she found out that Tin was the one behind um, the whole thing on the ship. And she also uh, agreed to meet with the ghost bloods in the war camps. Oh, yeah, that too. And then in Cal's point of view, he uh, he met Zeth. They had a fight. Yeah, fight in quotation marks. <laughs> uh, everyone thought that he was after Elokar, but then Zeth was like, what? I'm not here for you, loser. I'm here for Dalinar. <laughs> and then um, Kaladin managed... Well, first, uh, Dalinar managed to catch the blade between his hands, which was yeah. cool. And then Kaladin knocked him out of the wall, and they started falling. And then Zeth dropped him. Oh, also, uh, Zeth kind of sliced through Kaladin's hand with his shard blade, making it look like go dead, but then Kaladin healed it. Um Yeah, when they hit the ground, Kaladin pour like pumped a ton of stormlight into his hand and it healed. Yeah. Uh Adolin knows that um something's funny about Kaladin right now. Like he was like his his hand was dead, but but it's okay now. Like what what's going on? Did I just see things or is there something weird about that guy? Um, yeah, yeah. Adolin isn't the only one uh, freaked the hell out by Kaladin's apparent powers. Yeah. Yeah, Zeth is also freaked out. Like, his whole life is a lie because the Radiants are back or something. He's. I love, he's like, you're lying! And then he, he's like, I imagine he's starting to cry a little bit and then he oh. just flies off into the sky. Poor serial killer. Poor, <laughs> poor serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> uh I think that's about it, yeah. Oh, um Hopper I think it was Hopper lost his legs. Uh one of the bridgemen. Which isn't super important, but it makes me sad. Yeah, it is sad. He's still alive though, unlike whoever yeah. the other one was. Yeah, I don't remember the other one that died. Uh it was somebody that's been around since the beginning though. Oh, um, that that makes it worse that I don't remember them. Um, yeah, there's a lot of characters. Yeah, Hopper is the one that lived, that got his legs cut off. Uh, and it was Beld who dies. And I believe Beld has been around since. Uh, uh, pretty pretty long, at least. I don't know if the beginning beginning, but... Um, well, I don't remember him, so... Sorry, Beld. Uh, yeah, he's mentioned towards the end of Way of Kings. Is he one yeah. of the ones that they rescued from one of the other bridge teams? Uh, I'm looking at his page on the Copper Mind. Uh, he was a member of Bridge Four. He was not a slave. Uh, it sounds like he was a soldier 
and did something wrong. And so they sent him to the bridge cruise. Um, but he was with bridge four. He wasn't in a different bridge and then they took him in. F. Um, he was at the battle of the tower. F. F in chat and then for him. he died. He died trying to go scout out a way out. Hopper lived, though. Hopper. Not Hopper. Hopper is from Stranger Things. Hopper. Hopper lived. Who the fuck is Hopper? Hopper is uh, uh, the sheriff uh, on Stranger Things, played by uh, the guy who plays Black Widow's dad in uh, Black Widow, the movie. Oh, that that guy. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were going to start talking about Sean Astin, and I was like, what? Nope. But Sean Astin was also on Stranger Things. Yeah, he was. That's why I mentioned him. He's crazy. <laughs> I forget. I forget he was on Stranger Things. And then I remember. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, he was wearing like a weird mesh shirt in one of the episodes. Yeah, it was like the 80s or something, you know. Doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't. Anyways, <laughs> that's pretty much everything that happened uh, last week. This week... We're starting the interludes. I'll remind you, the interlude characters for this week are Eshonai, our, our favorite Parshendi yeah. uh, listener, Zahel, and Tong. So interlude five is titled The Rider of Storms, and it has Eshonai symbol. Uh, as a high storm approaches the city of Narak, Thud reports to Eshonai that they have a meeting in seven days with the Alethi. Eshonai attunes resolve and brings her captive spren into the high storm to transform. Eshenai stands in the storm to face the Stormfather head-on. The moment had arrived. The storm vanished, wind, rain, sound, gone. She looked up into the sky. The face was there, infinite, expansive. The humans spoke of their Stormfather, yet they never knew him as a listener did. As wide as the sky itself, with eyes full of countless stars. The gemstone in Eshenai's hand burst alight. Eshenai threw the gemstone against the ground, smashing it and releasing the spren. Is this really what you want? The rider had spoken to her. That had only happened in songs. The spren escaped from its prison and spun around her, giving off a strange red light. Splinters of lightning sprang from it. This was wrong. I suppose this must be, the rider of storms said. It was going to happen. No, Eshenai said, stepping back from the spren. In a moment of panic, she cast from her mind the preparations that Venli had given her. No! The spren became a streak of red light and hit her in the chest. Tendrils of red spread outward. I cannot stop this, the Rider of Storms said. I would shelter you, little one, if I were given that power. I am sorry. Eshenai gasped, the rhythms fleeing her mind, and fell to her knees. She felt it wash through her, the transformation. I am sorry. The rains came again, and her body began to change. And that's the end of the first interlude. Huh. Except, um, Kaladin didn't talk to him, but Kaladin saw the Stormfather. Yeah, but that's pretty rare for Kaladin to have done that. Because the only way you could see him like this is if... I think if he wants you to. And also you'd have to be out in a high storm for that opportunity to ever arise. Which Hasn't humans... Kaladin seen it twice? One, well, once was in person and once was in a dream. But Yeah, once was in a dream. He might have seen it twice in a dream. Was it twice? Oh, he's seen it, he's seen it once in reality and he's seen it twice in a dream and talked to it in the dreams. He didn't talk to it when he saw it in person. Because that was when he got uh, left out in the storm as punishment. Yeah. He talked to the Stormfather in Way of Kings, and he talked to him just last week in at the beginning of the chapter. 
uh, at the beginning of the the episode. Oh yeah, wasn't he the one that was like something is wrong? Yeah, something's coming. I'm sorry. Good coming. luck. Yeah. Interlude six is titled Zahel. They just has the general symbol for characters that don't get their own symbol, which is that like sword symbol I've sent you a couple times. Uh, Zahel wakes up suddenly as his life sense alerts him that someone is approaching. He opens the door as Kaladin is about to knock. You look like death itself. What happened? Attempt on the king's life, the boy said softly, not two hours ago. Huh. Is your offer to learn how to fight a shard blade still good? No. Zahel slammed the door. The boy pushed it o- the door open. Please, the boy said. I- Kid, two people live in this room. The boy frowned. The first is a grouchy swordsman who has a soft spot for kids who are in over their heads. He comes out by day. The other is a very, very grouchy swordsman who finds everything and everyone utterly contemptible. He comes out when some fool wakes him at a horrid hour of the night. I suggest you ask the first man and not the second. All right? All right, the boy said. I'll be back. Good. Don't be green from the ground. The boy paused by the door. Don't be... Huh? Stupid language, Zahel thought. No proper metaphors at all. Just leave your attitude and come to learn. I hate beating up people younger than me. It makes me feel like a bully. The kid grunted, sliding the door shut. Zahel pulled up his blanket and turned over on his cot. He expected a voice to speak in his mind as he drifted off. Of course, there wasn't one. Hadn't been one in years. And that is the end of the chapter. And if you're reading this book normally, that's probably about when you would realize Zahel is Vasher. Why would I realize that Zahel was Vasher? Because of the color? Well, he talks about the color thing. He also says he expected a voice to speak in his mind as he drifted off. Of course, there wasn't one. Hadn't been one in years. Talking about Nightblood. Oh, and that that did not come across to me like it would be Nightblood. Yeah, no, that's he's kind of saying like he expects to hear Nightblood, but he hasn't had Nightblood for years. So hasn't seen Nightblood for a while. Where is Nightblood? Good question. Interlude 7, Taln. Um, This chapter was difficult for me. There are like no dialogue tags. Um, so I tried my best to figure out who is speaking and I will try to differentiate them as best I can. No dialogue tags, Brandon. What are you doing, man? This actually has, uh, here's Taln symbol. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Oh, oh, why are there only uh, nine? Well, nine swords were left behind. Oh, that's true. That just makes it sadder. Yeah. The Taun chapter starts. He just stares like that, your majesty. Words. He doesn't seem to see anything. Sometimes he mumbles, sometimes he shouts, but always he just stares. Storms, it's haunting, isn't it? I had to ride all this way with that, your majesty. Listening to him ranting in the back of the wagon half the time, then feeling him stare at the back of my head the rest. And Wit, you mentioned him. Started on the trip with me, your majesty, but on the second day he declared that he needed a rock. A rock. Yes, your majesty. He hopped out of the wagon and found one. Then uh, he hit himself on the head with it, your majesty. (laughs) Did it three or four times. Came right back to the wagon with an odd grin and said, he said, yes. Well, he said that he needed, uh, I had this remembered for you. He said, I needed an objective frame of reference by which to judge the experience of your company. Somewhere between four and five blows, I place it. I don't (laughs) rightly understand what he meant, sir, but I think he was mocking me. Safe bet. Why didn't they scream? That heat of death, of death, and the dead, and the dead, and their talking, and not screaming of death, except of the death that did not come. After that, your majesty, which just kind of, well, ran off into the hills like some storming horn eater. 
Don't try to understand wit, Borden. You'll only cause yourself pain. Yes, Bright Lord. I like this wit. We're quite aware, Elokar. Honestly, Your Majesty, I preferred the madman for company. Well, of course you did. If people liked to be around wit, he wouldn't be much of a wit, would he? They were on fire. The walls were on fire. The floor was on fire. Where? A trip? Water? Wheels? Fire. Yes, fire. Can you hear me, madman? Elokar, look at him. I doubt he understands. I am Telenelin. I am Telenelelin, herald of war. Voice. He spoke it. He didn't think it. The words came, like they always came. What was that? Speak louder, man. The time of the return. The desolation is near at hand. We must prepare. You will have forgotten much following the destruction of the times past. I can make out some of it, Elokar. It's a lethe. Northern accent. Not what I'd have expected from one with such dark skin. Where did you get that shard blade, madman? Tell me. Most blades are accounted for through the generations, their lineage and history recorded. This one is completely unknown. From whom did you take it? Kalak will teach you to cast bronze if you have forgotten this. We will soul-cast soul blocks of metal directly for you. I wish we could teach you steel, but casting is so much easier than forging, and you must have something we can produce quickly. Your stone tools will not serve against what is to come. He said something about bronze and stone. Videl can train your surgeons, and Yezrian. He will teach you leadership. So much is lost between returns. The shard blade! Where did you get it? How did you separate it from him, Borden? We didn't, Bright Lord. He just dropped it. And it didn't vanish away? Not bonded, then. He couldn't have had it for long. Were his eyes this color when you found him? Yes, sir. A dark-eyed man with a shard blade. Odd sight, that. I will train your soldiers. We should have, lo we should have time. Ishar keeps talking about a way to keep information from being lost following desolations. And you have discovered something unexpected. We will use that. Surge binders to act as guardians. Knights. He said this all before, your majesty. When he mumbles, he just keeps at it, over and over. I don't think he even knows what he's saying. Eerie how his expression doesn't change as he talks. That is an Alethi accent. He looks like he's been living in the wild for some time, with that long hair and those broken nails. Perhaps a villager lost their mad father? In the blade, Elokar? Surely you don't think it's his, uncle. The coming days will be difficult, but with training, humanity will survive. You must bring me to your leaders. The other heralds should join us soon. I am willing to consider anything these days. Your Majesty, I suggest you send him to the Ardents. Perhaps they can help his mind to recover. What will we do with the shard blade? I'm certain we can find a good use for it. In fact, something occurs to me right now. I might have need of you, Borden. Whatever you need, Bright Lord. I think... I think I am late this time. How long had it been? 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 Too long. And that's the end of the chapter. Poor guy. So he said he was a herald, but no one heard him say that. Yeah, everybody, nobody understands the Ilethi he's speaking. It's like old because he hasn't been here for 4,000 years. Fair enough. Dalinar barely was able to make it out. but like. Yeah. He was able to catch out a couple words. But yes, another crazy herald. I'm pretty sure uh, if Yasna was here, she might have made a little bit out, a little bit more out, but... Uh, Probably. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, fortunately. Interlude 8 is titled A Form of Power, and it has Eshrenai symbol. Eshrenai returns after the high storm to Narak uh, to a large crowd. Eshrenai feels energetic and sees tiny red lightning bolts when she flexes her fist. 
I have returned from the storms, she said to praise. I bring with me the future of two peoples. Our time of loss is at an end. Eshonai? It was Thude. Eshonai, your eyes. Yes, they're red. They are a representation of what I've become. But in the songs, Sister, Eshonai called to resolve. Come look upon what you have wrought. Venli approached. Stormform? It works then? You can move in the storms without danger? More than that, Eshonai said. The winds obey me. And Venli, I can feel something. Something building. A storm. You feel a storm right now? In the rhythms? Beyond the rhythms. I feel a tempest brewing just beyond our experience. A powerful, angry tempest. A high storm. With enough of us bearing this form together, we could bring it. We could bend the storms to our will, and could bring them down upon our enemies. Humming to the rhythm of awe spread through those who watched. Eshenai held out her arms to the sides and spoke in a loud voice. Cast aside despair and sing to the rhythm of joy. I have looked into the depths of the storm rider's eyes and I have seen his betrayal. I know his mind and have seen his intent to help the humans against us. But my sister has discovered salvation. With this form we can stand on our own, independent, and we can sweep our enemies from this land like leaves before the tempest. The humming to awe grew louder and some began to sing. Eshenai gloried in it. She pointedly ignored the voice deep within her that was screaming in horror. Eshonai, no. Eshonai, no. Good job, Venli. God, I fucking hate Venli. I hate Venli so much. Good going. Yeah, so much for that meeting, huh? Oh, yeah, no. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not gonna uh, go well. And now we're gonna get into part three. Part three is titled Deadly, and the viewpoints for this part are Shalon, Kaladin, Adolin, and Navani. Navani. Um, Navani. Uh, this part, we have a, I have an image for you. It is a page from Navani's notebook. Um, and I read the writing on it reads Fabriol for an archer tower reversal principle of conjoined compound custom cut amethysts aids in drying bowstrings archers idea and archers during the weeping. Well, chapter 35 starts the multiplied strain of simultaneous infusion and it has Adolin symbol. The epigraph reads, They also, when they had settled their rulings in the nature of each bond's placement, called the name of it the Nahel Bond, with regard to its effect upon the souls of those caught in its grip. In this description, each was related to the bonds that drive Roshar itself. Ten surges, named in turn and two for each order. In this light, it can be seen that each order would by necessity share one surge with each of its neighbors. From Words of Radiance, Chapter 8, Page 6. Um, so the bond between Spren and Human is called the Nahel Bond. Adolin paces about on a plateau, wearing his shard plate, dwelling on the assassination attempt the prior evening. Adolin tries to practice throwing his shard blade, but loses focus often since he did not get any sleep because he was guarding his father's quarters throughout the night. Um, you should be able to throw a shard blade and make it remain where you threw it just by concentrating, but uh, when he does it, the shard blade just keeps disappearing right now. Because he's distracted. Kaladin was worth something in the attack, Adolin thought, more than you were. That man had been su suspiciously effective. Renarin said that Adolin was unfair toward the bridgeman captain, but there was something strange about that man, in ways Adolin couldn't explain. Adolin succeeds in throwing his shard blade and returns to the war camp with his bodyguards, and notices a procession of soulcasters that usually aren't seen during daytime. Adolin converses with the main ardent, soulcaster Kadash, and watches as a group of soulcasters working behind a silk screen for concealment use their fabrials in, con in concert to create a stone windbreak. 
Adolin questions Kadash about the old radiance, and Kadash answers noncommittally at first until Adolin expresses that he needs information urgently due to the fact that the assassin had radiant-like abilities, and Kadash then agrees to do research for Adolin. And we jump to Navani's POV. Navani stands on an observation platform in the engineering grounds and supervises an experiment to use a fabriole to cause a platform to be raised into the air. Uh, one of the Ardents with her is reading the report from the Ardents in the first book interlude, where they measured Spren to make them stop changing sizes. She's kind of commenting. She's like, you should read this shit, Navani. This is crazy. And Navani's like, I'm busy. <laughs> After extensive preparations and careful implementation, their attempt to cause a round wooden parapet to float in the air without support succeeds. Adolin joins Navani and they talk in private, with Navani explaining in technical terms how she arranged fabrials in tandem to act like levers to produce the desired results. Uh, she notes that she will figure out how to make more shard plate, like the armor that Adolin is wearing, which, yeah, good fucking luck with that, Navani. Um, yeah, Adolin, good luck. <laughs> Adolin realizes the military application for this, but Navani says there are more practical applications than raising archers in a battlefield. Uh, she's clearly more interested in the study of fabrials than she should be in terms of social expectations. Adolin kind of presses her on this, but she just acts like she's just a patron and isn't involved directly. Adolin confronts Navani over her relationship with Dalinar and the awkward position that his father is in regarding violating social customs and that he's lecturing the other high princes to follow. And he asks her if she's encouraging his advances and she says that she practically had to seduce the man. She scoffs at those traditions and tells Adolin that he is free of his betrothal for the time being due to Yasna's disappearance. Adolin and Navani leave for a meeting with Dalinar and Elokar. And that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 36 is titled A New Woman. It has Shallan's symbol. And the epigraph reads, And when they were spoken of by the common folk, the releasers claimed to be misjudged because of the dreadful nature of their power. And when they dealt with others, always were they firm in their claim that other epi epithets, notably dustbringers, often heard in the common speech, were unacceptable substitutions in particular for their similarity to the word Voidbringers. They did also exercise anger and great prejudice regarding it, though to many who speak, there was little difference between the, these two assemblies. So there was another Order of Knights Radiant known as the Dustbringers, but they were like, that's too fucking close to Voidbringers. Call us the Releasers, please. We swear, to, we swear, please. From Words of Radiance, chapter 17, page 11. Shallan awoke as a new woman. She wasn't yet completely certain who that woman was, but she knew who that woman was not. She was not the same frightened girl who had suffered the storms of a broken home. She was not the same naive woman who had tried to steal from Yasna Kolin. She was not the same woman who had been deceived by Capsule and then Tin. Pattern opens a lock on one of Tin's trunks for Shallan. He shrinks down and enters the lock, and he can just barely move things in the physical realm. Vata reports to Shallan that he has burned all the bodies of Tin and her guards. Makab, uh, who was like um, the head of the caravan... Uh, that they that they like picked up, sends a servant to retrieve a palanquin for Shallan, then goes his own way. He leaves saying he hopes they never meet again. As Shallan enters the war camp, accompanied by Vata and his deserter guards and her servants, she frets over her betrothal and plans to continue Yasna's research. She learns that Dalinar is in conference with Elokar and orders her palanquin to be brought to the meeting. As she travels to the palace, she draws a sketch of herself confidently confronting Dalinar to try to boost her own morale. At the palace, Shallan enters with Vata and Gaz as attendants. They reach the conference room at the top of the palace. The passage into the king's conference room was clogged with men, soldiers in a dozen different uniforms. Damnation, Gaz said. Those are Sadius's colors there. 
And Thanadol and Aladar and Ruthar, Vata said. He's meeting with all the high princes, as I said. Dalinar's guards had very few light eyes among them. That was odd. And did that one man at the door look familiar? He was speaking in a low voice with another soldier who was one of the men from the gates below. Looks like they beat us up here, Vata said softly. The man turned and looked her right in the eyes, then glanced down toward her feet. Oh no. The man strode directly toward her. Prince Adolin, he said flatly, is engaged to a horn eater. Obviously not, Shallan said. I was traveling alone through the wilderness. Revealing my true identity did not seem prudent. The man grunted. Where are my boots? Is this how you address a light-eyed lady of rank? It's how I address a thief. i just gotten those boots. I'll have a dozen new pairs sent to you, after I have spoken with High Prince Dalinar. You think I'm going to let you see him? You think you get to choose? I'm captain of his guard, woman. Blast, she thought. That was going to be inconvenient. <laughs> well, tell me, Captain. What is your name? Kaladin. Excellent. Now I have a name to use when I tell the High Prince about you. He's not going to like his son's betrothed being treated this way. Kaladin waved to several of his soldiers. The men in blue surrounded her and Vata and... Where had Gaz gotten off to? She turned and found him backing down the corridor. Kaladin spotted him and started visibly. Gaz? Kaladin demanded. What is this? Uh, the one-eyed man stammered. Lord Sh uh, Kaladin, you're an, uh, officer. So things have been going well for you. You know this man? Shallan asked Kaladin. He tried to get me killed. On multiple occasions. He's one of the most hateful little rats I've ever known. Great. You're not Adolin's betrothed. Adolin's betrothed is drowned. You're an opportunist with a very bad sense of timing. I doubt that Dalinar Kalin will be pleased to find a swindler trying to capitalize on the death of his niece. She finally started to feel nervous. Shallan steadied herself and pulled out a piece of paper. Is High Lady Navani in that room? Kaladin didn't reply. Show her this, please. Kaladin hesitated and then took the sheet. It was one of the written communications between Yasna and her mother. We'll see, Kaladin said. Well, Shallan found herself sputtering. Is this really all because I lied to you? He looked back at her. It's about doing my job. Your job is to be offensive and asinine? No, I'm offensive and asinine on my own time, too. My job is to keep people like you away from Dalinar Kalin. I guarantee he will want to see me. Well, forgive me for not trusting the word of a horn eater princess. Would you like some shells to chew on while my men tow you away to the dungeons? All right, that's enough. The dungeons sound wonderful, she said. At least there I'd be away from you, idiot man. Only for a short time. I'd be by to interrogate you. What, I couldn't pick a more pleasant option? Like being executed? You're assuming I could find a hangman willing to put up with your blathering long enough to fit the rope. Well, if you want to kill These me, you two, could always... I swear to God. <laughs> well, if you want to kill me, you could always let your breath do the job. He reddened and several guards nearby started snickering. I should enter you, he said. <laughs> My breath needs to be up close to kill, while that face of yours can kill any man from a distance. Any man? Why, it's not working on you. I guess that's proof that you're not much of a man. I misspoke. I didn't mean any man, just males of your own species. But don't worry, I'll take care not to let our trolls get close. Oh, your parents are in the area then? His eyes widened. My parents have nothing to do with this. Yes, that makes sense. I'd expect that they want nothing to do with you. At least my ancestors, ancestors had the sense not to breed with a sponge, he snapped, probably a reference to her red hair. At least I know my parentage, she snapped back. They glared at each other. For the first time, Shallan realized that the large hallway had grown silent. Ugh, Kaladin shook his arm free. I revise my opinion of you. You're obviously a highborn light eyes. Only they are capable of being this infuriating. Kaladin stalks away angry, but Shallan feels that the disturbance will lead to the desired result of her receiving an audience with Dalinar. 
Gaz mentions that Kaladin was a slave in the lumber yards recently and is very dangerous. Kaladin enters the chamber with the paper and returns after a short time, summoning Shallan to enter. And that is the end of the chapter. I swear to God, these two. <laughs> chapter 37, A Matter of Perspective. Are they always going to hate each other? Not always. But it's pretty fucking good while they do. <laughs> I love all three. I'm so excited for when these three characters, uh, Adolin, Shalon, and Kaladin, the like three main younger characters, are going to be around each other more often because I love their dynamics so much. Oh my god. Adolin and Kaladin don't get along. Kaladin and Shalon don't get along. And Shalon and Adolin are betrothed. It's like a sitcom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. The epigraph reads, now, as each order was thus matched to the nature and temperament of the herald it named patron, there was none more archetypal of this than the stone wards, who followed after Telenalat Ilin, Stone Sinu, herald of war. They thought it a point of virtue to exemplify resolve, strength, and dependability. Alas, they took less care for imprudent practice of their stubbornness, even in the face of proven error. From Words of Radiance, Chapter 13, Page 1. During a break, Adolin ponders on the lack of consensus on how to deal with Zeth. Adolin drinks some wine and taunts Relis over his boasts about wanting to duel Zeth. Adolin then directly challenges Relis, but Relis says that Adolin has to rise in the rankings according to protocol before he can fight him. Relis declines, despite Adolin offering to wager five shards against one, but Elit accepts a duel for the same proceeds. Relis is upset that Elit accepted the duel and tries to taunt Adolin to a violent comeback and possible voiding of the duel agree agreement but Adolin restrains himself. He turned to leave and stopped short. Someone stood behind him. Toral Sadius, High Prince, Shardbearer. Another duel, young Adolin, Sadius said. You really are determined to embarrass yourself out there. I still find it strange your father abandoned his prohibition of you dueling. Indeed, I thought it was a matter of honor to him. Adolin pushed past Sadius. Sadius grabbed Adolin's shoulder as he passed. Think what you will, son, the man whispered, but what I did was intended as a kindness to your father. A tip of the sword to an old ally. Let go. If you lose your mind as you age, pray to the Almighty there are people like myself willing to give you a good death. People who care enough not to snicker, but instead hold the sword for you as you fall on it. I'll have your throat in my hand, Sadius, Adolin hissed. I'll squeeze and squeeze, then I'll sink my dagger into your gut and twist. A quick death is too good for you. Careful. It's Damn. a full room. What if someone heard you threatening a high prince? Adolin turned in a quick motion, reversing out of Sadius's grip. He prepared to plant a fist in that smiling, self-satisfied face. A hand fell on Adolin's shoulder, causing him to hesitate. I don't think that would be wise, Bright Lord Adolin. He glanced at Amaram, who had stepped up beside him. Adolin took a deep breath, lowering his fist. Amaram nodded to Sadius, then turned Adolin by his shoulder and walked him away. You mustn't let him provoke you, your highness, Amaram said softly. He'll use you to embarrass your father if he can. Why do you remain with him, Amaram? Adolin asked. He is my liege lord. You have a rank that you could choose a new liege. Storm father. You're a shardbearer now. Nobody would even question you. Come to our camp. Join with father. In doing that, I would create a divide, Amaram said softly. So long as I remain with Sadius, I can help bridge gaps. He trusts me. So does your father. My friendship with both is a step toward keeping this kingdom together. Sadius will betray you. No. Sa Her Prince Sadius and I have an understanding. We thought we had one. Then he set us up. Amram's expression grew distant. Your father is a man who cannot bend. I wouldn't have it any other way, Adolin, but it does mean that the man he has become is not someone who can work with High Prince Sadius. 
And you're different? Yes. Adolin snorted. Amaram was one of the finest the kingdom had, a man with a sterling reputation. I doubt that. Sadius and I agree that the means we choose to reach an honorable goal are allowed to be distasteful. Your father and I agree on what that goal should be. A better Alethkar. A place without all of this squabbling. It is a matter of perspective. He continued talking, but Adolin found his mind drifting. Who was that? Gorgeous red hair. There wasn't a single block of black in it. A silken blue dress, simple yet elegant. The young woman seemed to glide through the room. Adolin twisted about, watching her pass. She was so different. Ash's eyes, Amram said, chuckling. You're still doing that, are you? Adolin pried his eyes away from the girl. Doing what? Letting your eyes be drawn by every flitting little thing that swishes by? You need to settle down, son. Pick one. Your mother would be mortified to find you still unwed. Yasna's unwed, too. She's a decade older than me. Your cousin is hardly a role model in that regard. Look at her, Amram. That hair. Have you ever seen anything such a deep shade of red? Vaden, I'd warrant, Amram said. Horneater blood. There were family lines that pride themselves on it. Vaden? It couldn't be. Could it? Excuse me, Adolin said, breaking away from Amram. Bright Lady Yasna did go down with the ship, I'm afraid, the woman was saying. I'm sorry for your loss. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh. Well, that's one way yeah. to meet your betrothed, I guess. <laughs> yeah! It's finding out your aunt's dead. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah, your aunt's dead, but uh, I'm I'm alive. Do you, do you still want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he's like walking up to her. She's talking to um, Dalinar yeah. and Navani. Oh, yeah. no, Dalinar. Yeah, Dal Dalinar and Navani is who it is. Um, chapter eight, the silent storm. I, I feel bad for Navani. Like that, that's, that's her daughter. Oh yeah. Just wait. Oh, uh, God. The epigraph reads now, as the wind runners with us engaged arose, the event, which has hitherto been referenced, namely that discovery of some wicked thing of eminence, though, whether it be some rogueries among the radiance adherents adherents or of some external origin, Avina would not suggest from words of radiance, chapter 38, page six. Sorry for your loss, Shalon said. I have brought with me what things of Yasna's I was able to recover. My men have them outside. Uh, this is a very long conversation. I'm going to sum it up as best as I can because we got to move along. Um, Shalon offers her condolences on Yasna's loss uh, to Dalinar and Navani. Uh, she mentions that she also brought some of Yasna's belongings and has information on Yasna's research. And Navani's like, fucking research. Great. Thanks. I really am happy about that. Shalon notices Aiden looking at her and she's like, oh, he's kind of hot. Shalon <laughs> Shalon tells them what happened on the wind's pleasure and Navani's like you lit the fucking ship on fire after my daughter had been stabbed you didn't try to help her and Navani is really fucking pissed about that she was already dead yeah Dalinar's like yo she got stabbed in the heart like Shalon couldn't do anything else and Navani's like I'm sorry for getting you know really upset and she leaves did, did Shalon ship on fire i thought she turned it into water uh but she's telling them that she set it on fire because she can't tell them that she can soul cast <laughs> oh yeah okay that's that makes sense uh shalon tells dalinar uh kind of like an abbreviated version of her journey to the war camps and dalinar promises to pardon the deserters well he promises to get a pardon from the king but we all know who the real power in the war yeah. camps is yeah but he can't say that no shalon brings up the betrothal and Adolin is like, yes, the patrol. Hello, it is me, Adolin. I'm, how's it going? How are you? And <laughs> Shalon is like, you're hot. And they are very awkward with each other. And Adolin is like, you know, we could totally still get married if you want to. And Dalinar is like, Adolin, go get some wine. Fucking fuck <laughs> off. 
Delinar asks about Shallan's family and uh, and his interest or, or her interest in Adolin, and Shallan explains the situation pretty pretty accurately. But she kind of you know she leaves out like the ghost blood part of it. She's just like, my family's broke, like we're we owe a lot of people a lot of money. I really need this marriage, and Dalinar um, allows the betrothal to stand for now because he's like Yasna endorsed you, and so. Unless, you know, I'll, I'll dig into you some more, but if Yasna endorses you, that's pretty good for me. Um, and he offers her a position as a clerk in his camp. The offer, though generous, felt like ropes tightening about her. She wouldn't be able to move without her actions being reported to him. His charity would be her prison. That is generous of you, Bright Lord, she found herself saying. But I actually have Dalinar, one of the others in the room called. Are we going to start this meeting again sometime today, or am I going to have to order in a proper dinner? Dalinar turned toward a plump, bearded man in traditional clothing. High Prince Sabariel, Shallan thought. Fine, fine, Sabariel, Dalinar said. Shallan mentally notes the attendees of the meeting, realizing that there are three primary factions among the High Princes. It's pretty much Elokar and Dalinar opposing Sadius, Ruthar, and Eladar. There's a, a group of mediators led by Haytham, and Sabariel is just there as an outsider making fun of everybody. <laughs> Wait, said Vama. Who is that girl over there? Does someone have a Vaden in their retinue? She was speaking with Dalinar, Royan said. Is there news of Yakaved that you're keeping from us, Dalinar? You, girl, said Eli Sadius. What can you tell us of your homeland succession war? Do you have information on this assassin? Why would someone in the employ of the Parshendi seek to undermine your throne? All eyes in the room turned toward Shallan. Alas, Shallan said, I will be of little use to you, bright lords and bright ladies. I was away from my homeland when that tragic assassination occurred, and I have no insight into its cause. Then what are you doing here? Haytham asked. She's watching the zoo, obviously, Sabariel said. The lot of you making fools of yourselves is the best free entertainment to be found in this frozen wasteland. I am the ward of Yasna Kolin, Shallan said. My purpose here is of a personal nature. Ah, Aladar said. The phantom betrothal I've heard rumors of. That's right, Ruthar said. Child, what would it take for you to visit my war camp and speak to my scribes? I need to know what is happening in Yakaved. I'll do better than that, Ryan said. Where are you staying, girl? I offer an invitation to visit my palace. I too would hear of your betrothal, or of your homeland. But what he really wants is information about a betrothal, and she realizes that. Your concern is unwarranted, Ryan, Dalinar said. She is, of course, staying in my war camp, and has a position among my clerks. Actually, Shallan said, I didn't get a chance to respond to your offer, Bright Lord Kalin. I would love the opportunity to be in your service, but alas, I have already taken a position in another war camp. Stunned silence. Bright Lord Sabariel, Shallan said, was the first to offer me a position and invite me to stay with him. The man almost choked on his wine. He looked over, up over the cup toward her, narrowing his eyes. She shrugged with what she hoped was an innocent gesture and smiled. Uh, that's right, Sabariel said. She's a distant family relation. Couldn't possibly live with myself if I didn't give her a place to stay. His offer was quite generous. Three full bromes a week support. Sabariel's eyes bugged out. I wasn't aware of this, Dalinar said. I'm sorry, Bright Lord, I should have told you. I didn't find it appropriate to be staying in the house of someone who was courting me. Surely you understand. He frowned. What I'm having trouble understanding is why anyone would want to be closer to Sabariel than they need to be. Oh, Uncle Sabariel is quite tolerable once you get used to him. Like a very annoying noise that you eventually learn to ignore. Most seemed horrified <laughs> at her comment, though Aladar <laughs> smiled. Sabariel, as she'd hoped, laughed out loud. I guess that is settled, Ruthar said. I do hope you'll at least be willing to come brief me. 
Give it up, Ruthar, Sabariel said. She's too young for you. Though with you involved, I'm sure it would be brief. Ruthar sputtered. I wasn't implying, you moldy old... Shalon rounded the room to approach where Sabariel sat, without wife or family member to attend him. He was unmarried. Almost threw you out on your ear, girl, Sabariel said quietly. Stupid move, putting yourself in my hands. Everyone knows I like to set things on fire and watch them burn. And you didn't throw me out. So it wasn't a stupid move, merely a risk that paid rewards. Still might drop you. I'm certainly not paying that three brooms. That's almost as much as my mistress costs, and at least I get something from that arrangement. <laughs> You'll pay. It's a matter of public record now. But don't worry, I will earn my keep. You have information about Colin? So he did care. Information, yes. Less about Colin and more about the world itself. Trust me, Sabariel. You've just entered into a very profitable arrangement. She'd just have to figure out why that was. Dalinar disrupts the discussion and says that the war is failing and that they will change their strategy to either make peace with the Parshendi or march in full force and wipe them out. Hatham expresses disdain and Sadius insults Dalinar. Dalinar mentions the Parshendi envoy who offered an olive branch and wonders if the Parshendi are still controlling Zeth as they claimed to have when Gavilar was killed. Dalinar outlines his plans to scout the plains and outfit a major expedition to the center of the plains, then brings the meeting to a close. Well, I suppose you're going to accompany back me back to my camp now, Sabariel said to her, rising, which means this meeting wasn't just the usual waste of time listening to blowhards make veiled threats to one another. It actually cost me money as well. It could be worse, Shalon said. Worse? How? I could be boring as well as expensive. He looked at her, then laughed. I suppose that's true. Well, come on then. Just a moment, Shalon said. You go on ahead and I'll catch up at your carriage. Shalon informed the king of his sister's death and retrieved the pardons for her men. She then found Vata and Gaz handing them the papers. What's this? Gaz a or Vata asked, twisting it about. Right of pardon, sealed by the king. It's for you and your men. We'll soon receive specific ones with their names on them, but meanwhile this will keep you from being arrested. You actually did it, Vata asked. Storms, you actually kept your word? Of course I did. Note that it only covers past crimes, so tell the men to be on their best behavior. Now let's be going. I've arranged a place for us to stay. And uh, we've got one more page and then we'll be done. Is there, is there a reason why she picked him that I should already know? No, she just kind of felt, realized that he was the most disconnected from everybody else. Mm. Like he's kind of just sitting on the sideline making fun of everybody. And so she thinks that's a good place to kind of, to kind of be where she can operate freely. Without okay. being constrained I, I, by politics. I was like, should I remember something about the ghost bloods related to him? No. Or? No. Okay. Uh, really quick flashback chapter, chapter 39, heterochromatic. Uh, this fun. is four years ago. Obviously, Shalon's flashback symbol. Shalon's father is having a feast, trying to pretend that their family hasn't grown impoverished. Eventually, Shalon's father calls for a toast and announces that he has found a new wife who will be coming to the estate soon. He gives celebratory gifts to his children. The boys receive fine daggers and Shalon gets a silver necklace. The door to the feast hall slams open and a man walks in. The man is Redin, bastard son of High Prince Valam, and he has come to investigate rumors about Shalon's mother's death. Lin says that his wife was murdered by her lover, but Redden says that others tell a different story. Redden announces that any light eyes of high birth can provide witness and asks if any of the children will come with him to do so. Balat prepares to stand, but seeing Lin's face stops. Redden states that if any of them rem remember something they want to tell, they will find willing ears. After Redden leaves, Shalon's father shrinks down in his seat with his head in his hands. And that's that flashback. And then one more short chapter and we'll be done. Chapter 40 is titled Polona. It has Shalon's symbol. The epigraph reads, 
That they responded immediately and with great consternation is undeniable, as these were primary among those who would forswear and abandon their oaths. The term recreance was not then applied, but has since become a popular title by which this event is named. From Words of Radiance, Chapter 38, Page 6. Sabariel and Shalon return to his war camp after the meeting. They arrive at Sabariel's manor. A short woman stood on the manor's steps, hands on her hips. Ah, Sabariel said, the bane of my existence. Please try to hold your laughter until we separate. My frail aging ego can no longer handle the mockery. Shalon gave him a confused look. Then the woman spoke. Please tell me you didn't kidnap her, Turi. The mistress. She insisted on coming with me, Polona, Sabariel said, climbing the steps. I couldn't dissuade her. We'll have to give her a room or something. And who is she? Some foreigner, Sabariel said. When she said she wanted to come with me, it seemed to annoy old Dalinar, so I allowed it. He hesitated. What was your name? He asked. Shalon Devar. Shalon said, bowing to Polona. Her, the, the Herdazian woman cocked an eyebrow. Well, she is polite, which means she probably won't fit in here. I Herdazian. honestly can't. Yeah, she's Herdazian. Huh. I honestly can't believe you brought home a random girl because you thought it would annoy one of the other high princes. Nah, Zabario said. Woman, you make me the most henpecked man in all of Alethkar. We aren't in Alethkar, and I'm not even storming married. I'm not marrying you, so stop asking, Polona said. She's far too young for you. Sabariel grinned. I used that line already. On Ruthar, it was delightful. He sputted so much you could have mistaken him for a storm. Polona smiled and waved them inside. There's mulled wine in your study. He sauntered toward the door. Food? You ran the cook-off, remember? Oh, right. Well, you could have made the food. As could you. Ugh, you're useless, woman. All you do is spend my money. Why do I put up with you again? Because you love me. Can't be that, Sabario said. I'm not capable of love. Too much a curmudgeon. Well, do something well, with the dang. girl. He walked inside. Polona, he's like, he's being a fucking... He's kidding. I know. I'm yeah. not capable of love, so... Yeah. Must be something else. Yeah. Polona helps Shalon settle into her living quarters. She says that she'll house Shalon's party and find something useful for them to do, and will find Shalon a maid. Polona, Shalon asks, Yes, child? Thank you. Polona smiled. Winds know you're not the first stray he's brought home. Some of us even end up staying. She left. Shalon fell asleep. And that is where we will end for tonight. Oh, okay. So Shalon is in the Shattered Plains. She's found herself a home. Uh, Sabariel is one of... Uh, no, one of... Sabariel is my favorite High Prince. I love Sabariel so much. Really? I just think he's so funny. And he's very, like, he's very sarcastic. He's very much like, oh, everybody knows that I'm just an asshole. And his wife, his mistress is like, Shut up, you're not a fucking asshole. You're just a dick. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is. And he's cool. I just like having him around. He doesn't do any of the chasm fights. Like, they mentioned that earlier, but I didn't really think it was super worth it. But, like... He's like, he's pretty much a big reason for why the war camps are becoming as much of like a city as they are, because he's like, he's responsible for a lot of the farming and he's responsible for bringing in like a lot of merchants and stuff. Like he's not focused on the war side of it. He's focused on like creating an economy in the war camps. Interesting. Next week, uh, we're gonna have a really fucking cool Kaladin chapter. Um, oh, and one of my Is favorite Renarin scenes, uh, not yet. Uh, Does Renarin have a fit? Renarin. One of my favorite Renarin scenes is also uh, next week. Um, I'm scrolling through to see if there's any other awesome 
uh, scenes. But yeah, uh, at least, oh yeah, we're also going to get a little more um, backstory on Moash. Interesting. And we will start flying through part three and hopefully we'll make it through in a timely fashion. Flying through. Uh Are we also going to meet some of people's favorites? Oh, yeah. We're going to meet a character who is a lot of people's favorite villain in this series. Villain? Antagonist, I should say. Ooh. Um, I'm not a massive fan, but a lot of people really love them. And we uh, haven't right. already met them. No, their names not aren't Sadius or Amaran. The way I, the way people put it, is they have a big villain crush on this character. <laughs> um, so like Loki. Yeah. Yes. But not as good. Yes. Very okay. much like Loki, I would say. Then you guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. Like I said, you guys can join our Discord. The link to do that is in the episode description and also on our Twitter link tree. You guys can follow us on Twitter at SpeakStormlet. You guys can email us at SpeakTheWordsASP at gmail.com. And our cover art was made by our great friend, Alks. Uh, they are on Twitter at AlksBeegBoy. That's at A-L-X underscore B-E-E-G-B-O-I. Thank you guys so much for listening. And Mango, you want to you wanna say the ideal for us? Life before death, strength before weakness, and journey before destination.